Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021, and our three questions we're going to be taking a look at today are first up, how should your, you approach Gen Z in recruitment? Second, which countries will be exempt from the new vaccination requirements that go into effect November 8th? And third, how can you and your campus help new international students adjust, particularly academically? So I'm going to be taking a look at these three questions and more in the next half hour. For those that are new to the Roundup, uh, this is our opportunity each Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to have a live chat with you on three issues that we've been seeing some common themes occurring over the last few days and going a little bit more in depth into the news stories that are making up these questions or driving these questions. Now, for those that are looking to find out the answers to some of these questions or the news articles to which I'm referring in these, uh, in these discussions, uh, we do put out a newsletter each Monday that comes out Monday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, and it comes direct to your inbox free of charge. You can sign up at our website, smieconsulting.org slash subscribe, or uh, just if you'd like to find out this week's edition, I'm dropping a link to the most recent uh, newsletter called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And SMIE stands for Social Media and International Education. That's the consulting business that I have. And what we'll do today uh, over the next half hour is go in depth into these three questions and give our take on uh, what uh, the implications might be for what we do in international education. So first up, how should you approach Gen Z? And uh, some folks have taken an approach, well, we're going we're gonna to live where they live. And that is something that I've certainly preached for, for many years, no matter the generation that we're talking about. You want to have a presence where your potential audience is. And that, in the last 12, 15 years, has meant having a presence online, having a presence on social media platforms where they're spending their time. So, but that's just part of the equation, is, is, is being where they are. But it's a, it's a most important first step in that equation. And uh, the responses that we're talking about today uh, regarding approaching Gen Z, this is the college, current college-age generation that we're trying to bring into our campuses and make a part of our communities. Uh, there, uh, the approach that we're talking about is coming from uh, our colleagues at Inted. Uh, they have a lot of great stuff they put out weekly on uh, tip, tips and tricks uh, to get you into uh, a proper frame of mind to attack a certain challenge that you might be facing. Uh, one of their most recent ones is an article entitled uh, Getting Two Ways to Get Gen Z. And they break it down into two areas, uh, en enrollment marketing uh, in terms of uh, kind of considerations that you want to take uh, related to how you reach them and where you reach them. And the other piece is the admissions process and how that, uh, that can be improved or, or changed to accommodate uh, expectations of Gen Z. Now, <clears throat> they kind of basically boil it down to adjusting your attraction campaign to speak to them in ways that engage and nurture. Uh, and what they're talking about here, uh, attraction campaign, is this is, this is your first line of, uh, of, of promotion. This is your website. This is your top-level ads on Google, on social media that are directing, in, directing uh, prospective students to your content. This is uh, how you, what kind of 
content you have on college search sites that you may be uh, spending money on in terms of your profile, uh, raising your profile as an institution. So adjusting your attraction campaign to speak to them in ways that engage and nurture. What does that really mean? Uh, it's a recognition, I think, that what's, uh, what expectations are for these students, these Gen Z students, is in terms of what they're looking for most most in their in their college selection. Uh, this is also infused by what the pandemic has done to their lives. Uh, so it's it's something that uh, really makes makes you think think quite clearly about are is your message meeting students where they are uh, in terms of the, the expectations. So I think it's uh, they make the point in the intent article that, uh, that your marketing team uh, needs to be in touch with the market and get truly creative about expressing your institution's position vis-a-vis -vis other options prospective students perceive. And that means the, the options aren't necessarily other institutions. It could be looking at um, university as one of many options. So they could be going down a voc tech road or maybe a service road, uh, volunteerism, whatever it might be. So this is something that you want to th think about. So uh, you want to consider how COVID prompted students to simply sit out this past year uh, in 2020 and not go to university, those that took that gap year. So what does that do to your mix of students applying? Uh, and I think that that's uh, the content you want uh, for this audience, uh, that the approach that you want to look at that reaches these students where they are, uh, talks through their um, interests in careers, their interest in outcomes, their interest in social issues and environmental concerns. Uh, those have been coming up uh, on many per, uh, student per preferences surveys that we've seen over the past couple of years. Uh, we see that those, um, those issues along with mental health concerns uh, that may be more for domestic audiences and international, not that international don't deal with mental health challenges, certainly do, and uh, in perhaps more significant ways they, they deal with that because of uh, cultural differences and that type of thing. So those, those considerations you want to have in, in how you're marketing, how you're speaking to the issues that matter most to the students you're trying to recruit, when you do that as an institution, beyond just talking about your uh, part of that is your institutional commitment to uh, maybe carbon neutral in the next 20 years or whatever it might be, or divestment from fossil fuels in their endowment uh, pursuits. Those kinds of things may matter to a certain demographic uh, that you're going after. Uh, do you talk about uh, your, uh, your issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion on your campus? And uh, maybe that has relevance for international student audiences in certain parts of the world. Uh, but those things are what they're hearing about, safety, environment, uh, mental health. These are issues that they're dealing with, pandemic response. Do you, how did you respond uh, during the pandemic? How were your students treated? And this, these are the kind of the stories that we've talked about before when we, we talk about how you can leverage your students, current student experiences. This should be a, a core, cornerstone of your engagement program with prospective students is having your current students tell your story for you, particularly on topics that make it uh, a much more personal experience um, when it's a current international student sharing their experiences about how they were treated on campus during the pandemic when everything started shutting down, going online. 
How did they survive that? How did the university step up in whatever ways that they did? Capturing those stories and answering those anticipated questions that your prospective students uh, have about your institution and where your where your heart lies, where your commitments are. I think those are the kinds of things in your messaging that have to be there, and are are, are making the one making are you, where it shows that you're really making the impact uh, that. Uh, that we uh, that that they expect you to have, and nothing nothing speaks more to that than career options. Uh, we've seen uh, we've, we talked about it here on the roundup. We've seen it in most surveys that of what students are most looking for. Uh, in certain countries, it's going to be extremely relevant. But what is your career services doing for your international students? Not just your general campus-wide uh, students that are graduating, that are looking for preparing for the job market, all those things. Every campus has that kind of an office. But what are they doing for international students where the, the rules are obviously different? Uh, not every company will hire international students for OPT, on OPT or even uh, CPT. So what are your options? Uh, and this is, this is, this is uh, something that I think institutions are starting to understand this connection, uh, particularly for overseas audience, that ROI for prospective students isn't just domestic students looking for a, jo a job, job available after graduation or particular fields that they want to go into that should be highly plentiful in jobs and when they, by the time they graduate. Uh, that's a very much a, uh, has been a traditional domestic focus of what uh, students are looking for, but never really seen until recently uh, as both a domestic and an international issue for when it comes to ROI. This is a major concern now for prospective students and their families. Part of that has to do with the huge investments that they're making to uh, get uh, their son and daughter into your, into your institutions and the tuition and fees and room and board and all that wonderful stuff they have to pay over the course of four years of an undergraduate experience. So. How, how are you demonstrating your ROI to these prospective students and international students in terms of what the outlook is for them by the time they've, they finish their degree with your institution? So this, the, the, some of it's going to be very specific to, to STEM, uh, that they're going to want to know what kinds of jobs do STEM students get and international students having that three years of work experience potential for STEM uh, degrees, that's a major concern in terms of where, what they study, uh, what they what get their degree in. Uh, so, but it's a, it's not exclusively career. It's going to be well. I want to have a life outside of the classroom while I'm there. Uh, I want to not only prepare for my future career, but I want to get involved. I want to meet people from around the world. I want to have those experiences that I'm not going to get if I had stayed in my home country or gone to a different country. I want those uniquely American experiences. So how is that being provided and communicated uh, to your current student, to your future students uh, before they arrive on campus? Because really you don't know what you don't know as a prospective student, so it's up to you. Uh, and when, particularly when you're talking about uh, to international audiences about what students shall expect once they get to campus, uh, there are many things that they're not going to have the first clue what you're talking about. But you couch it in how you present that. You couch it in terms of the experience of uh, experiencing regular American life, uh, the celebrating those holidays that may be uniquely American, American Thanksgiving, uh, college football game. Uh, those types of things that are unique to American culture. So this is something that we want to share uh, in what we, how we message. Yes, that, that's going to be career focused, but socially, culturally, they want to have ways to 
to really experience, uh, make their experience as full as it can possibly be. So that's the first half of the INTED agreement, uh, agreement is, is really focusing on your messaging that ma talks about things that are appropriate for international students to, that are, they want to know about, but maybe don't know the, how to ask that. The second part of the equation is in the, your admissions processes. And frankly, I've said this uh, to anyone who will listen over, over my 28 years in the business, and I always say how we are the most complicated university system in the world to apply to. Uh, when the, our most common qu answer to questions we get as international recruiters, when we meet families, when we meet students overseas at fairs, and they, they say, what test score do I need to get in? Or what, uh, uh, what does my grade point average need to be? The answer is always, it depends. Uh, that there, and that answer is going to be different because if it's a general question about admissions, we'll say it depends because we look at the whole person and in, in, in many, many universities will say this, particularly selective ones. We look at the whole person when we make a decision, that it's not just a test score or a grade point average. Uh, but this is something that's very, very far, a, a foreign concept for international students and parents to get their heads around. Uh, why is our deadline so much different from uh, the other school just down the street? Why do we have different requirements? Why do we require essays and recommend, teacher recommendations and the state university does not? So understanding uh, <clears throat> that we are a very difficult process to understand, an application system to understand, knowing that each school sets their own deadlines, sets their own requirements, that, and as a result that leads to a fairly uh, impossible way, possible possibility for students to understand that there is one way of applying to U.S. colleges and universities. It can be different depending on, uh, you could have four or five schools on your list and they could all have different deadlines and different requirements and tests that are required, all of that. So what, the, what that makes clear to students looking at from the outside in is we are very complicated and that the answer is going to be very individualistic like much, much of our country is, uh, too individualistic probably for our own good in some cases. But when it comes to admissions, we're too complicated. We, uh, the application fees, the two, two or three tests that might be required, the essays, the, the deadlines, the uh, recommendation letters that are different, are not entirely common around the world. So all of these things are road, potential roadblocks to students in terms of uh, how to apply. So it's... It's, uh, it's what jumping through hoops is oftentimes what, what, what a lot of uh, critics will call, or well, we even call it ourselves, we have you jump through a couple of hoops in order to get, get admitted. So when you, can think about, when you think about the most selective schools in the country, that they, they will have very fine, very fine lines that are unimaginably small that will define why one student with the same academic profile gets uh, admitted and another student with a similar profile doesn't. Uh, that it might be the that they're a saxophone player in their jazz ensemble doesn't have any coming in this year, so they want to rebuild. They lost a couple and want that graduated, whatever. Uh, so, but for the majority of colleges and universities, if we can, <clears throat> if we can simplify our processes by uh, removing hurdles, uh, if many have done that in the last two, three years by going test optional, primarily induced by the pandemic, but hopefully that will provide enough cover to continue that and uh, you'll be doing your research on 
how those students that were admitted without test scores and how they've done in the first year of regular uh, regular academic success and see how that goes. But not everybody's able to do that or should everybody should be doing that if they, if they want to keep it. But uh, you want to look at um, what to, if you are requiring essays, are they valid essays to require? Are they, uh, do they speak to the, again to the needs of the students of the day? So there's uh, the uh, when you look at deadlines, you look at application fees, you look at tests that are required, essays or recommendations that are required that are oftentimes um, not necessarily making the process easy for international students. When you think about, uh, there, we know we have the common application in the U.S., which has uh, well over three, 400 institutions that are members of it. It might be 900, I'm not sure. But uh, when you look at uh, the numbers, you see that uh, in, in other countries, there's one form to fill out that you have to fill out forever, in, like the U.K., the UCAS, now for undergraduate and graduate student applicants. Uh, it's one form. Uh, you, you pick your six schools or seven schools that you can apply to or programs at those schools that you can apply to, and then that's it. Uh, it's a very straightforward process. Um, you have your English proficiency scores and your, and your secondary school results and tests and that type of thing, and that's it. We make it a, a lot harder than it probably needs to be. So that simplifying your processes is certainly a great way to reach Gen Z. So great topic to start this week, uh, how you can reach uh, Gen Z, and a uh, great article from uh, the folks at Inted that really speak to, um, speak to a lot of the things that we talk about here in our six Ps of strategic international enrollment management in terms of reaching students where they are with messages that matter to them. So let's move on to question two. Which countries are exempt from the new vaccination requirement for international travelers to the U.S.? Uh, there are two. Uh, when this order came down in October, there was uh, kind of a, a little bit of an unease uh, with uh, in the international community because the way it was being promoted was very much we're opening back up to the world. Uh, this is the U.S. When the reality is for international students, that unless you're vaccinated now from the greater majority of countries in the world that are coming to the U.S., uh, you won't be able to get on a plane in January to come to the United States if you are not vaccinated. So this is uh, a requirement now that begins November 8th. So it's the third now. So we're talking next Monday. This will be the new uh, law of the land for anyone that's looking to come into the United States. Uh, we have been hoping that there would be some further clarification on this. Uh, we know that, uh, that with the COVID restrictions being lifted, uh, uh, the current for this November 8th uh, proposal, uh, our new regulation, uh, we know in the past, uh, last spring, we saw that uh, international students that had been on were coming from countries that were on this COVID list, uh, the UK, Schlangen area, China, other countries, Iran, um, that uh, they were given NIE, national interest exemptions, for them to still be able to go through the process to get their visas to come, uh, even though there were COVID res travel restrictions for their country. Uh, so we, international aid community was hoping that something similar would be put in place to, and there's still time to do it, but will it happen before the deadline? Who knows? But not going to hold my breath. But you, you, we were hoping for something like that, a national interest exemption that would allow unvaccinated students to still uh, get their visas and travel. Because really, this, 
this uh, vaccination requirement has nothing to do with their ability to get a visa. We heard confirmation of that yesterday during um, Education USA's uh, virtual uh, virtual conference talking, uh, had representative from Consular Affairs on. Uh, I get a lot of questions, obviously, with this new travel restriction uh, requirement for vaccinations that uh, there, the student visa process is separate completely from whether a student is vaccinated. So uh, they can still get a visa to come even if they're not vaccinated. But the reality of this November uh, 8th ruling or change of regulations is that they won't be able to enter the United States. So obviously you can get a visa up to four months before your program of study starts. You can enter the country 30 days before your program of study starts, but uh, you can't um, you can't travel to the United States as of November 8th from the major greater majority countries if you are not vaccinated. And the two articles that I'm going to refer you to today, uh, first are the CDC quarantine and uh, guidelines specific to this November 8th ruling. Uh, so there are. And this is this was an exemption that was carved out as of October 25th, 2021. This is when this, this ruling came out last, this uh, CDC guidance came out last week. As of October 25th, 2021, 50 countries have less than 10% vaccination coverage with any vaccine. And CDC will update that list every 90 days. So uh, the 10% um, the 10% list isn't going to get any bigger. Uh, it's it's only going to get smaller, but these there are 50 countries on this list right now. The greater majority of these, uh, as you might as you may have guessed, are in uh, India. Or excuse me, are in Af Africa. Uh, the exceptions to that are Afghanistan. Uh, let's see, Afghanistan, Haiti, Iraq. Going through the list quite slowly, quickly. Nicaragua, uh, Solomon Islands, Syria, and Yemen. Uh, but those that you can see on that list, Syria, Yemen, um, Iraq, uh, are, are ones that, uh, and, and Nicaragua, obviously ones that are on this list that you w perhaps wouldn't expect uh, that are on this list, but certainly outside of Africa, those are the ones that uh, are currently less than 10% of their population are vaccinated. Now, there are caveats. Uh, this is the only caveat to the, to the uh, requirement for, uh, or exemption to the, to the requirement for, uh, for having a vaccination. Uh, before you travel. And uh, what's important to note here is it's not just uh, not just vaccinations before you travel. Like you cannot get on a plane if you've, um, and, and this, is the, this is the key here. Uh, the, uh, the CDC guidance is allowing, uh, allowing tra international travelers for any of the three U.S. approved ones, Johnson Johnson, uh, Pfizer, Moderna. It's also allowing uh, the those other five that are not recognized by the U.S. but are recognized by the WHO, and that's uh, the AstraZeneca, 
Covishield, Sinopharm, and Sinovac. So the two main Chinese ones. And then the majority, the Covishield is kind of the global version of the AstraZeneca, Oxford AstraZeneca one. So those are the ones, that, so there are seven on that list uh, from the World Health Organization that are approved, that if students have gotten it, uh, their, uh, their vaccination, uh, they can enter the United States. Now, the CDC does put a couple of caveats on there. Are you fully, and this is, are you fully vaccinated for air travel to the United States? You are considered fully vaccinated two weeks after an uh, acceptable single-dose vaccine, two weeks after your second dose of an accepted two-dose series of a COVID vaccine, uh, and also two weeks after the um, uh, AstraZeneca, Novavax, um, mix and match. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so it does, uh, if you're not, so even if you got, got your second shot like a couple days before you get on a plane to come to the United States in January, uh, you're not fully vaccinated yet because you haven't had that two weeks after your second dose of a two dose or after your first dose of a single dose. So that requirement is going to is something international offices will need to be be aware of. So I, I may want to make sure we get that across today. And uh, guidance says it's going to be very important for you to know and communicate to your uh, students that are, are planning to get vaccinated before they come in January. Make sure that that, and that means if you're starting mid-January, they're going to need to be vaccinated by the end of December, no later than, uh, with their second shot if they're on a two-dose regime. So make sure this is being communicated. It's an important detail that can foul up a, a bunch of students if they're, if they're not paying attention to this. So make sure you're communicating that to your, uh, to your inter international students that are coming in in January. And I also want to, uh, uh, obviously, we know our friends at NAFSA are always on top of these things, and they post uh, regular updates as well on this. Uh, it's been on their radar and to hopefully get some further exemptions because uh, they, do, they do give exemptions for, uh, for certain, certain travelers that if you've, if you've had certain issues, uh, you would be, you would, you can get, like immigrants or, or certain categories, when they come in, they have, if they haven't been vaccinated yet, they can still enter, but they're given 60 days to get their, their, their vaccinations. Uh, they send a, sign an attestation saying that they're going to do that. And we all know on our college campuses that hey, you can get a vaccination right away, uh, right after you arrive if, uh, if, the, if, if, if you want one. Uh, but now it's going to be a requirement that you get one for even immigrants to the U.S. Uh, if they haven't able, been able to secure it beforehand. So the hope is that that similar language can be extended as NIE for, uh, for, for international students coming in as well, that, hey, no, it's going to be no problem for them to get access to a, a vaccination after they arrive on campus. So let's hope that uh, some of that language will, will follow over to, uh, to, international, to affect international students, not just immigrants. Now, last question of the day. Uh, how, how can your campus help new international students adjust? Now, this is, this is one of those topics that I really appreciate any kind of literature on uh, and any articles that really share kind of the best case, or not best cases, but case studies of how, um, how international students, after you've done all that work to recruit them, they finally get to campus, you're doing your orientation, and then the dust settles and they're, they're in, their, in their first semester and they're in their classes. And then 
they like run into some really unexpected, uh, unintended consequences. At least as far as they're concerned, they didn't know how to answer. Uh, they don't know how to ask to answer certain questions. They didn't realize that they have to ask questions, uh, and that's a that's a prerequisite for for grades and part of your grade in certain classes. So this article is about uh, from Diverse Education. It's, uh, an, it's an article titled "How This Campus Works to Include International Students," and it's about Ohio State University. Uh, so it, 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 it catalogs uh, some individual students' experiences, which is always useful to have that, that kind of background. Uh, they start with a student from China, uh, came three years ago to pursue his undergrad degree. Uh, he said it does, did take him quite a while to feel like he belonged, and that he, he talks about some of the small things uh, and that um, made a difference, or could have made a difference. Uh, he was asked in an icebreaker, uh, campus icebreaker during his first year, not necessarily just for international students, but in tar terms of a wider audience in a particular class. Uh, he was asked, what's your fav favorite ice cream flavor? And he, <laughs> he explains he didn't know how to answer. He's only in China. He they don't have Baskin Robbins. He was only used to one or, one or two flavors uh, that uh, the domestic OSU students listed ice creams, ice cream flavors that the student had never, from China had never heard of. Uh, they looked at me when it was his turn. He says, people look, just looked at me when it was my turn waiting. They thought it was an easy question that it was a normal thing to ask, because to them it was. Uh, but for him, it clearly wasn't. So he, there's also the struggles for international students, and I, I, I know this has been Everywhere I've uh, worked, uh, this has been a, a, a challenge, is that they're, whether they feel confident enough in their own English ability. Uh, and that, that that's a, uh, makes them more hesitant to, to engage uh, as an international student if you're not confident uh, with your own English. Uh, so some students really, really, really feel that a lot more. But um, uh, his, the student also shares some of his feelings of not belonging. Uh, that he, it was kind of, he realized that he needed to be getting more involved. Uh, he needed to be getting into a different uh, into different activities and organizations. Uh, that so th th this story is he he realized early on he needed to become more active and engaged in campus clubs and organizations. He got involved in student government. And he, this year, great success story, he became uh, the first international student to be student body president of Ohio State University as an undergraduate. And that's, that's huge uh, for a campus where 11% of the undergrad, or of the under, yeah, 11% under, under of the undergrad population at Ohio State is international. And he's the first to be uh, a student body president. So fantastic having a student from China who's uh, gone that way. And now uh, he, he makes the case clearly he wants to be an attorney in the United States eventually. He studies political science. He says, it shouldn't matter if I have an accent or not, uh, that his voice carries the same weight. We deserve, and as international students, we deserve the same resources. Um, that's, and that, that's, uh, I think he, he's, he's referring specifically now to, uh, during the pandemic, how international students really rallied uh, to, 
seeing that their, their, their needs weren't being necessarily met or weren't being met in the ways that they thought they should be met uh, by the campus and by the community. So they, they became advocates for themselves, which is fantastic to see uh, that it's not just um, uh, international offices that are, are constantly uh, the only ones fighting the flying the flag for their students. We're now seeing uh, the students themselves, uh, particularly at Ohio State last year, uh, really rise to the occasion and not not that they should have had to do this, that the university sh should be anticipating these needs, but until they know that there are, there are issues, uh, they can't really do anything about it. So I'm glad, so glad that we had international students that got organized and, and really made their voices heard, uh, particularly at times when they were the most, probably one of the most vulnerable populations on college campuses during the pandemic. Uh, so that really encouraged by this, but there's also concerns in the classroom uh, that we, in terms of making students feel more comfortable, uh, uh, getting them uh, engaged uh, in understanding the, uh, uh, the the need to ask questions in class, that uh, the, to uh, understand the academic uh, uh, academic honesty issues and. Uh, pro, uh, 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 the issues related to uh, that can often get some students in trouble in terms of uh, copying work or cheating, uh, those kinds of things, those dishonesty challenges uh, that, uh, that that often get international students in some academic trouble. So we're seeing uh, for the, the, the international students on campus really during the pandemic have have really found their voice, uh, ironically, and that's uh, that's that's an important important thing. I think if we are listening for that voice and we are helping them organize as students to make sure that their voices are heard beyond just our own international offices. Um, uh, the student also mentions uh, that there the mental health challenges that students felt during the pandemic uh, that. Uh, on top of all the other stresses that they get, just coming to a new country, learning a new language, learning in a new environment, uh, in a different system, uh, the, the challenges that the pandemic put on top of that were pushed many students, frankly, to the breaking point where they needed to reach out and needed some help. So campuses that have recommended that, have, have caught on to this and have recognized that as needs that we need to be doing more, which is great because I've, I've worked on so many campuses where mental health was something that um, wasn't really even really talked about in, in a lot of cultures that were coming to our campuses that now it's the realization is students no matter where they're from the more increasingly global uh, experiences that we see with particularly with student athletes uh, and athletes the professional athletes that have um, that have stood up for their own mental health uh, and said well I'm, I'm pulling out of this competition I'm, I'm not going to compete in this tournament I'm miss taking my missing my sh I'm going to remove myself from a situation that could be dangerous for me if I'm not fully focused as Simone Biles did during the Olympics as Naomi Nakata did during um, during the um, uh, one of the main, one of the many tennis tournaments uh, that um, that she plays in uh, and had one one or at least one or two that she withdrew from as a result of some mental health issues she was she was trying to deal with. So I think these issues are becoming more globally talked about. And as a result, students are finding a, le a greater level of comfort and frankly need to advocate for themselves. So encouraged to see that. Uh, and hopefully this is a wake up call for a lot of institutions to be doing more on that uh, mental health front, uh, particularly in a post pandemic world where these issues are still gonna be fresh for a lot of students uh, that spent the better part of a year and a half 
in online education, and um, some students don't react well to those that kind of environments, and particularly if they're having to do it on their mobile phones or in very um, unfamiliar and unproductive places. So this is something that I think uh, more campuses, as they become more aware of these issues, as they affect not just domestic students but international students as well, is the more outreach that can be done to help uh, nip some of these challenges in the bud. So that's what we've got today on the Roundup. We really appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, it's uh, been a great conversation today. Looking forward to uh, hearing your opinions on some of these important topics as we go through the weeks and months to come. So until next time, have a wonderful day.